I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices on Racism in the UK, the podcast that provides a platform for real people to share their untold stories. In this series, hear about the devastating long-term effects of racism in the UK. Some of these personal stories may be hard to hear, but it's absolutely vital that we air them in order to enact much-needed change. So please, share them with a friend. Let's get into today's episode. Today, we'll hear the remarkable story of how one man relied on his wits and his defiant sense of humour in the face of double discrimination. I just became very resilient and I realised I had the power to decide on things that I could let affect me or could impact on me. You know, don't get me wrong, it's not like I've got some kind of um, ironclad mind (laughs) whereby things don't impact me. Uh, But I've learned over the years just to let certain things go. This is Mark Esho. I'm 59, 60 next year, got the big 6-0. I'm a um, company director. In fact, Mark is a serial entrepreneur. He runs two businesses and a social enterprise that promotes disability access and awareness. When Mark was five, he contracted polio, leaving him paralysed from the neck down he was given a 10% chance of survival. In the face of those odds, Mark went on to regain partial mobility. He now uses a wheelchair and gives motivational talks, including speaking to companies about the benefits of employing people with disabilities. Mark's parents are from Nigeria. They were studying in Leicester when they had Mark. From the age of six months, I lived with a private uh, fostering family. Mark grew up in a small village just outside Leicester. He had a relatively happy childhood there. I had a very protective family around me. You know, I had foster brothers, foster sisters. Uh, it's a small village, so everyone knew each other within the village. Uh, so any time that I'd actually suffered any sort of racism that I can remember was from people outside of the village. If Mark was subjected to racist abuse or taunts, his big brother would come to his defence. Yeah, it was, it was exceptionally protective. Mark moved to Nigeria when he was nine. He returned to the UK aged 18 and studied at Leicester College before moving to London. Disability access back then was really poor. Despite this, Mark got his A-levels and later an MBA. Well, back in the 80s, a lot of black people felt that they didn't have any rights. You often felt like a second, you know, like a second class citizen. Um, you would try to avoid places whereby it was all white, despite the fact that, you know, being a British citizen and having the right to live in the UK, it felt like you weren't wanted. A lot of it was being fearful of the police uh, because, you know, constantly being stopped by the police for whatever reason. um, And the only crime was driving while black. Racist abuse and racial profiling happened to Mark so often that he developed a way of dealing with it. This is something that happens on a regular basis, so you just tend to brush it off. And you don't, you know, you don't want to dwell too much into those emotions because if you let it affect you, it then impacts on everything else around you. It just makes you angry, makes you sad. Mark faced both racial discrimination and disability discrimination. He was forced to become incredibly resilient. I realised I had the power 
to decide on things that I could let affect me or could impact on me. You know, don't get me wrong, it's not like I've got some kind of ironclad mind <laughs> to whereby things don't impact me. Uh, but I've learned over the years just to let certain things go because otherwise, it, you know, it can be damaging to your mental health. And usually Mark was able to do this, but there's one incident from his past that really sticks with him to this day. Mark was 20. He'd been given social housing in Barnet, North London. And the day I moved in, the gentleman next door to me actually turned around and said to me that the likes of you are not wanted here and I'm going to be keeping an eye on you. This was a big white guy, six foot three. He towered over Mark. Two weeks later, the neighbour repeated his threat. I subsequently found out that he was a part-time policeman and um, he actually had a shotgun on his shoulder. Um, actually saying that, you know, I don't want the likes of you here. This is a quiet neighbourhood and these are decent people. Mark did the only thing he could. He looked away and ignored the man. A couple of months later, I had a knock on the door. I said, who is it? It's the police. I opened the door. Uh, we've got a search warrant because we've been told that, you, that you're selling drugs. <laughs> and it's that love and behold. You know, they came in, searched the old apartment. Obviously, I had no drugs. The police left. The next day, Mark went to the station and demanded they tell him who had reported him. The police refused. I said, is it the guy next door? So we can't tell you that. Uh, so I said to them, can I lodge a complaint? No, you can't. And I just had to leave it. I was being discriminated against. I was being victimised. But then, despite that, the police would actually give me no support whatsoever. That kind of, even today, really annoys me and saddens me. For Mark, the emotions brought up by racial harassment weren't always straightforward. One evening, Mark was meeting Doyin, an old school friend from Nigeria, who at that point was a law student. It was mid-1980s Edgware, and the pair were off to a busy local pub for a pint. We noticed the moment we walked in that everyone was staring at us, but we thought, oh, you know, that's just normal. Went to the bar ordered the drinks, and there was these three guys behind us and really looking at us quite menacingly, you know, but, you know, very aggressively. But Mark and Doreen thought, whatever, let's just ignore them and try to enjoy our beer. These guys, their eyes followed us. I felt their eyes still on us. We obviously, we felt the negative energy. We felt the negative vibes, but decided to ignore it, as, you know, as you do. It was a very hostile environment. So let's, you know, let's drink up quick. You know, at least have our drink. As it turned out, Mark and his mate were only able to take a few sips of their drinks. Next thing we knew is that we were being, we were grabbed by the scuffers our necks. One of them got up, came behind us, held us by our collars and said, are you guys okay? He said, yeah, we're, we're okay, thanks. No, he said, really? Are you really okay? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. And he said, no, I don't think you heard me. Are you really, really okay? I think you need to go now. And I think that's where we got the message. So basically, we didn't finish our drinks. 
you know, it's almost like it was questioning our logic to be there, our, our motivation to be there, that, you know, how stupid could you be to, to actually walk into this pub, that sort of thing. So therefore you can't be all right or you can't be of sound mind. <laughs> Mark and Doreen were shocked. They'd been to this pub a few times before, played pool there without any issues. The pub was predominantly white, but they thought it was safe. Then they noticed that the pub landlord had walked away. He saw it and just turned his back. And and, and that's when we knew that, okay, this is not good. Because he saw it, looked up, saw it, and then and then moved away, moved to the only end of the bar. And, and that's when other people in the pub obviously saw it as well, but just didn't react. Mark and Doreen left their pints on the bar and walked straight out of the pub. To me, this encounter sounds terrifying, but Mark and Doreen had a surprising reaction. We laughed about it. We just thought it was so funny. And we told everyone else what happened. It was a frightening experience, uh, but we kind of laughed about it. It was the fact that we thought it was funny that we got kicked out. We joked, we joked to people, say to people, that we inadvertently walked into a National Front meeting. So that was our joke, that we walked into a National Front pub, you know, we didn't know, you know, like two black guys, you know, <laughs> next, you know, we're, you know, we're being marched out. It kind of just helped us release the tension and kind of remove the pain of the experience, as you would say. It's just one of those things, what do you do? You know, if you try to internalise it too much, you get upset. So we just laughed about it and we still laugh about it, you know, for many years afterwards when we tell people, you know, this is what happened. Mark has both grit and grace in equal measures. He found it in himself to laugh about the absurd, racist behaviour of these white men. But the incident, and others like them, did have an effect. Personally for me, I'm always a bit wary of pubs that I don't know. I'm very apprehensive about uh, pubs in all, all white areas. Mark says there's still a lot of discrimination, both unconscious bias and overt racism. A lot of ethnic minorities still don't feel completely safe and don't feel threatened in certain environments or could feel threatened in certain environments. Mark's own experiences inspired him to write a book about racism and resilience. It's called I Can, I Will, and it details his incredible life path from challenging beginnings facing abuse, disability and racial discrimination. Through his role working for a charity, launching several businesses and winning awards, Mark shows his characteristic humour and determination in the face of adversity. Listening to Mark's reflections, I was left with one word in my mind, inspirational. Mark has found a way to take his experiences of racial discrimination and the challenges of being disabled and created a space for both achievement and positivity. It would be so easy for people like Mark to become resentful and angry, but he appears to be the exact opposite. He's full of humour and kindness. He has found a way to psychologically protect himself from the trauma of racial abuse. That's not to say that Mark has been unaffected by his experiences. The intimidation and injustice he has suffered because of his skin colour has clearly impacted him. But he's found a way to not be defined by the negative experiences in his life. He's maintained a sense of his own value and worth, despite the toxic elements society has thrown up. 
In this way, Mark's story is an inspiration. I hope you're as moved and motivated by it as I was. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week.